the volume. Oral Sessions is brought to you by FanDuel. It's never been easier to play fantasy on FanDuel. Whether you love basketball, golf, soccer, or any other fantasy sport, there's a contest for every fan. FanDuel, more ways to win. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Oral Sessions. It's the weekend, and we made it. It's the freaking weekend, baby, which means... That what we're bringing to you here on the Volume Podcast Network is my best of episode. We are combining, combining, I say, the best of from the week. Um, what a week. First of all, on Tuesday, we had uh, who was regarded as one of the best MMA journalists over the past decade, Ariel Hawani. We talk about his love of professional wrestling, how he built his own career to, to where he's at now. I mean, in some kind of contract negotiations, we're not sure what's going to happen. Where is he going to resign? Whoever gets this contract done with Ariel Hawani is going to be sitting in a good position because that dude just knows how to get the job done. His relationship, his rapport with anybody that steps inside the octagon is, uh, is one to be revered, no doubt about it. And we also talk about his relationship with Dana White a little bit on thin ice over there, but we, we get into all of that with Ariel. And then on Thursday, we dropped an episode with Ricky Starks, the AEW sensation. This dude is a star. There's no other way to look at it. This dude has the future written all over him. Uh, you know, unfortunately, so we had recorded the episode a few weeks ago and then, you know, just came out very recently that he has fractured his neck. Awful. Such horrible news for, for any athlete, somebody with a star on the ascent to a level that somebody like Ricky Starks has is, is very upsetting, but I have no doubt that he's going to heal up and recover quickly and get back in the ring and just be met with all of the applause, the biggest pops heard around the world once he steps back inside the ring to AEW. So we're sending all of our best wishes and speedy recovery thoughts over to Ricky Starks. Um, but like I said, we recorded this several weeks ago and we had just such a great conversation. He was, a, you know, also just an open book. We talk about, um, you know, what it was like for him growing up. He grew up in New Orleans, was there during Hurricane Katrina, then moved out to Las Vegas. Um, you know, a, a dude raised by his mom and he's got his sister. So his relationship with women, actually what he looks for in a woman. So ladies, listen up. This was such a fun chat. I could have talked to Ricky for forever. He's such a good dude. So let's get into it, guys. Here's the best of this week from Oral Sessions. What's your relationship with Dana like right now? <laughs> Look at Renee getting right into it. I love it. Um, <laughs> my sleeves are rolled yes, up. Let's go. Uh, my relationship with Dana is I would say non-existent. There is no relationship. Um, it was once supremely close and good and healthy and the kind of relationship that any journalist would want to have with arguably the most powerful person in the sport. Now I don't interact with them. We don't text, we don't talk on the phone. Um, and what I have often said to people is that doesn't necessarily bother me. Of course, I have tried to have a good relationship with everyone. And that could be tough at times when you're doing this job because people are going to get mad. If you're truly telling it like it is, it's not always going to be positive, but I've really tried to be fair. And I hope that people would recognize that. And so, of course, I would love to have a great relationship still with him. But I will say, if he doesn't want to talk to me, if he doesn't want to do interviews, text, all that stuff, I can live with that. Uh, the one part that has always made me a little uncomfortable is like, you know, messing with my livelihood. That's a different story. So 
you know, interviews, texts, all that, all well and good. That's his prerogative. I respect it. You don't want to talk to anyone. You shouldn't talk to them. But when it goes a little too far is when it gets a little personal and a little uncomfortable. And that's always been my issue, but I've really tried my hardest when people are watching me or listening to me speak or reading what I write. I don't want them to ever think that I'm biased, good or bad. I don't want them to think that I have an ax to grind. I don't want to be that guy. And I've really tried, sometimes it's been difficult, but I've really tried to stay on that, you know, middle ground so that no one thinks, oh, here's Ariel who was wronged by so-and-so and he's slinging mud because he's mad at them. That One should have nothing to do with the other, in my opinion. When that relationship started to disintegrate, was, did you were you thinking about it in those terms at that time? Or you were like, oh my God, I should repair this right away because who knows what this is going to do for my career moving forward? Like that's got to be a bit of a, a scary spot. I know, for, I mean, not in that it's the same sense, but like anytime I felt like maybe Vince and I were maybe on like rocky ground, I'm like, oh fuck, here we go again. Like trying to get back in those good graces again. Yeah. Um, obviously a little different because you were working directly for him. And there's a lot of similarities. I think I've never met Mr. McMahon, but from what I'm told, um, when he is not happy, he lets you know it. Uh, so I've been on the receiving end of some text messages and phone calls. Um, and then when things started to get a little bit, uh, sideways, it became clear, you know, like you'll get blocked on social media. It's very clear that someone's unhappy with you in this case. And so I tried my best to repair whatever was left of the relationship. But the banning was the last time I spoke to him. Like that night when they kicked me out of the arena was the last time I spoke to him. Maybe once, twice max, but one that I vividly remember where I was sort of not asked, but nudged to maybe reach out via text to try to like get the lines of communication open. Um, this was a couple of years ago before the deal with ESPN first like kicked in and I was already there and it was like, all right, we're, you know, under the same umbrella again, let's try. I never got a reply. And so, you know, I can make a very strong case that the olive branch should be reached out to me. Uh, you know, I'm not worth hundreds of millions of dollars. He is, I have lost money as a result of you know, some decisions that he has made in employment. And so I, I swallowed my uh, pride and, and said, you know what, I, I, for the good of the company, for the good of the relationship, I strongly believe that we only have one life to live. And so why go through that life having any kind of enemy, especially something like this, where I don't think anyone did it. Like I certainly did anything wrong. So like, what's the point of all of this? Well, also for him to put on the ban and then renege on the ban and trying to make it seem like it's somewhat of an amicable relationship, but not actually moving forward in that sense. I mean, it seems like kind of a bullshit move to like, like just get on with it. Especially like you said, both working under the same branch, being at ESPN and, and all that for him to be like sort of dabbling into your livelihood. It's been, you know, all over, I wouldn't say all over the news, but as I'm researching stuff for you, looking this all up of your contract coming up in June with ESPN. And that's kind of coming to a head. I mean, we're just weeks away from that. How are you feeling? I feel pretty good. Uh, it's so a, Ariel got paid. Yeah, no, no, <laughs> no, no, no. Okay. Um, but uh, I, re I respect you for asking because that's something that I would ask. You know, someone asked me, how do you feel about your business being out there? And by the way, just for the record, I've not talked about this in any way, shape or form, but I'm not one to, you know, uh, shy away. So someone asked me, like, how do you feel about your business being out there? And I said, look, I've asked people about their business. And so it would be rather hypocritical of me to be upset about something like this. It is a little surreal. I was a huge, I still am a huge New York Knicks fan. And uh, when I was growing up in uh, Montreal, 
no one cared about basketball. This is pre Raptors. And there was a bodega near my house. And I would walk there just to buy the New York Post so that I could read about the Knicks because the Montreal Gazette certainly wasn't covering them. TSN wasn't covering them. Sportsnet wasn't even a thing in Canada. And so to think that the New York Post even cares about my life is kind of surreal, to be honest. So as of right now, we're doing this interview. I don't want to date us. I don't know when this is running, but I I don't have any sort of uh, idea what's going to happen as of next month. So still a little bit up in the air. That's so stressful during, I mean, you know, the world is opening back up and there are more things going on, but you know, I mean, even, you know, with my decision to leave WWE and not being like, Oh, what my hand's not on another branch, not knowing what that next thing was going to be. Do you have a bit of a feeling of that if things don't get sorted out? Yeah, for sure. I mean, um, I obviously knew this was coming, so I want to know, I want to be prepared, good or bad. It has been a great time. I mean, it was my dream to go work for ESPN. And uh, I feel like in the midst of the pandemic, I was able to pivot quite well. I haven't been to an event in a year. I never missed an event for 10 years. You know, Um, I never went like more than one, like my kid was born, I'd miss one. And then I'd be back at the next pay-per-view or whatever. And so I haven't been to one in over a year, not my doing. Some people think that it's, you know, UFC banning me, or I'm afraid of coronavirus. This has been ESPN's call. I mean, that's why I'm doing my shows from home, blah, blah, blah. Hopefully that changes very soon. And so I've been able to pivot. I used to do a show that was very interview heavy on Mondays. Then I started doing this show with DC, Daniel Cormier, and it became even more popular. And so I'm very proud of what I've been able to do. Also, one of my dreams was to work NBA games and I got that opportunity as well. So it's been great. I have no uh, ill feelings towards ESPN. And uh, I know that they're sometimes put in a tough spot because I know that some people probably don't want me to be working at ESPN uh, because of the relationship. And they have had my back internally uh, behind the scenes since I signed back in uh, April of 2018. So I'm curious, I won't lie. Like I said, I'm a neurotic, anxious person. And so there's a part of me that would love to know what's going to happen, but uh, I'm trying to appreciate the moment and trying to tell myself that, you know, when I'm 70, no one's going to want to work with me or hire me or do anything with me business-wise. So, you know, why not just enjoy this and not get too stressed out about it? Yeah. I mean, honestly, when sometimes when things are out of your hands, it's like you can do as much work and put so much effort forth, but you can't force anyone's hand to do anything. And it's very interesting to see kind of what comes up when things get down to the wire or even past that to see what happens. And I'm just going to throw this idea out there. I mean, maybe you do some stuff for AEW and then you can also Get on those uh, NBA wow. TNT. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You get on that TNT. You go hang out with Bar- Barkley and Shaq. It would be fun. Uh, we also have, of course, one championship on TNT. So that's an MMA organization that's over there. Um, back in what was this? 2006 or so. I actually had a brief conversation with Double J, Jeff Jarrett to work for TNA in the early days of TNA uh, through Kurt Angle, who I befriended at the time. And so uh, the wrestling world has always been, you know, a big part of my life and an influence and all that stuff. I've never worked for WWE, as you know, but uh, I'm open to anything. If, if someone, I think it might be tough for me to do like scripted stuff because I'm so used to like being a journalist and asking. Well, they would probably give you a little more leeway than like most people were afforded. Okay. Well, if you know, Mr. Khan put in a good word, uh, Tony, that is not Nick, the new president of uh, WWE. It's weird that there's two cons in the business all of a sudden, but 
Yeah. Um, what about the importance of the relationships that you maintain with the fighters? I mean, obviously DC being a huge one for you guys have your podcast together and a great relationship. Um, how much has that been able to, to help you guys move, or you specifically moving forward? Probably the, the number one most important thing, because I believe very strongly in trust. So I have a lot of conversations with fighters where they tell me things that are quote unquote off the record. Right. And they say, put it in the vault. DC always goes vault, vault, vault. And there've been a lot of times where it's been massive news, but I want them to believe if you tell me something and it's off the record or it's, it's uh, something you don't want out at the moment, maybe in the future that it will stay there. I will never hint to it. It's going in my head and it's never coming out until you tell me. Also, when I talk to managers or coaches, for me, it's always off the record unless noted otherwise. So there are some people that, you know, people have complained to me about where it's like, Hey, uh, so-and-so are you fighting on this date against this? And they, you know, maybe mistake on their part, they'll answer yes. And they're like, Oh, I didn't know we were on the record. And I've said to people like, you always have to assume it's on the record unless noted. Like us with the bookshelf that was on the record, unfortunately. Yeah. And then you put me on blast. (laughs) Um, so I, I just feel very strongly about, uh, having that, that trust and that they should be able to trust me. And that's why I don't like to edit my interviews or anything like that. Like when you talk to me, you are, you know, making a pact with me and I'm going to treat you with respect and I'm not going to blindside you. I'm not going to go for the gotcha, you know, quote or anything like that. And when we have conversations, it's very important to keep it in the vault. If you want it in the vault. Also, another thing that's been very important to me is don't just hit people up when you need something. There's a lot of times where I'm talking to people and it's a full-time job in its own right, just to stay in touch with all these people, but where I feel like I just need to reach out to be a normal human being and not with the intention of it paying off, but with the intention of just being a normal human being. And then hopefully it does pay off, but that's not why I'm doing it. It's very sincere. I will be honest. I'm, I'm a very strong believer in journalism and unbiased and being ethical. These are very important things, maybe too much at times, but I'll also say that I'm a human, I have feelings and you make connections with people as opposed to other people. And so like someone like DC, I connected with long before he retired. Someone like Chris Weidman, I connected with long before he retired. And when I saw him break his life, yeah, it's very hard. So I'm texting with his wife at you know, the hospital. And she's telling me things that I'm not going to report because we have become somewhat friendly. I try to always keep it down the middle, but you're a human and you connect with people, right? So these things have helped me. And uh, luckily now I don't have to beg for interviews anymore. People will come to me and that's a great feeling. And they just be like, you know, I trust that you're going to do this the right way. And you know, what, what a great compliment that is. It's funny. Cause I feel like I do a similar thing with my show of like calling in friends and be like, Hey, come on the show, come hang out. But then I'm like, wait, was that supposed to be a vault thing? Because there's so much information that you know just being friends that you've got to like weed through of like, hey, what can I actually use here? What is... That's tough. It is. Especially since you were like on the inside with a lot of these people and now you're kind of on the opposite side. I mean, for example, in this interview, you put my contract situation on blast. (laughs) I thought that that was an inside thing. And now, you know, the world knows I'm about to be unemployed in a month and a half. (laughs) You'll be good. You'll land on your feet. No one's... You're going to be just fine. 100%. But no, you're, I know exactly like with DC, DC would be an example that I think would relate to something of yours because like we became buddies, if you will. Like when I got banned that night, DC called me and I'm in the the hotel room and he's like, I always get emotional talking about this because he's like, we're going to be okay. We're going to be okay. Like you're Daniel Cormier. Like you don't have to have my back, you know? And uh, so he, he was just always a good friend to me. Oh man, I'm sorry because I was about to have a kid, a third kid, and it was a very scary time. And um, 
when he got knocked out, like I felt like I, I needed to have his back too. So yeah, having those relationships is just so important. And for you guys to be able to having, you know, you guys have your show, you guys have that budding relationship so much more to come from that. DC seems like he's an outstanding human being. Um, and there's always rumblings of him maybe making the jump over to WWE. Maybe he'll end up on that commentary desk at some point. I mean, he knocks out of the park, obviously with UFC, but yeah, he seems like such a great dude and having those relationships are so incredible. So I'm glad that you've got that buddy in DC to, to have your back during some bullshit that's gone down. I appreciate you going long there. So you gave me a chance to uh, stop. Right? That, was a, that was a veteran move on your part. Thank you, Renee. DC would kill it in that world. I got you. Unfortunately, he, uh, his back is messed up. Like I think there would have been a time where he could have actually been a pro wrestler, but his back is too messed up. He's also in his early forties. It's not a great time to start as we've learned from a lot of MMA fighters. DDP did it. I know, but not after a career as a collegiate Olympic MMA fight, all that stuff. Um, but yes, shout out to DDP and, and his great yoga. But I do think that he would kill it on the broadcast side of things. But UFC treats him very, very well. Like they love that guy. So they've got such great chemistry over there too. It's really great. Well, Ariel, listen, it's been awesome to have you on the show. I really appreciate you joining me. You're leaving me with tears in my eyes, Renee. <laughs> For God's sakes, what a loser I am. I mean, no, how okay. else are you supposed to end things, right? <laughs> when did your love of wrestling start? I was five years old. Mm. And I know that because my brother at the time was a big wrestling fan. And He's older uh, than you? Yeah, my brother. So my sis, I'm the youngest. My sister's the oldest. My brother's the middle child, and then there's me. So me and my sister are similar in personalities. My brother's very shy and quiet. But yeah, he introduced me to wrestling at five, and then it just kept on. And I remember being like eight or nine. I told my mom, I said, "When I grow up, I'm gonna be a wrestler, and I'm gonna have like a bunch of kids, and you're gonna have to watch them." <laughs> I stuck to half of that promise. There's still time. There's still time for the rest. I assure you. I just want two kids, not (laughs) not a bunch. Well, I mean, I feel like now being pregnant, waiting, like I'm like, okay, I've got this baby. I mean, I'm going more against the clock because I am a geriatric at this point, according to um, the health services. Um, Yeah, it's like, okay, how many babies can I crank out here in a a small window? Give me twins for the next round so I can shut it down. Yeah, just be done. (laughs) But uh, but yeah, Yeah. I I am in the same vein of... uh, you know, doing wrestling and wanting to make sure that I can provide for my family uh, and my, my future kids. And so obviously the, the love of that started at a very early age for me and it's kind of just progressed. I've never did sports. I never watched anything else. I just watched wrestling. It's funny to me, like just doing like my, my research kind of getting ready for this interview, but you have been so singularly focused on just wrestling to me, it seems like that has to be a recipe for success in the sense of like not having your hand in other things. Like you were making this work no matter what. I had no choice. I have no choice but to make it work because it's really the only thing that I've known in a sense. And honestly, the only thing I've ever really loved outside of my family, this is like when I tell you the, the, I'm a very, I'm a Pisces. So I'm a very emotional person and I wear it right here. I get so hyped and emotional over wrestling because that has been the focus point. When I was in Vegas after the Katrina stuff and I was miserable and and depressed, basically all I had was wrestling playing video games with wrestling. Like I had it all. So wrestling was always the constant for me in my life, especially when things weren't going 
the way that I kind of thought they would, even as I got older. Did you start training out in Vegas? I was actually, I was going to up in Henderson for the Ballard brothers or something like that. It didn't work out at the time because we moved from Henderson to North Las Vegas and then up to Centennial. But I didn't start training until 2011 uh, in Austin, no less, by Mr. Mexico number two, who was he was somewhat of a enhancement talent in the California Indies. But man, was he so on point with his basics and his his mindset of it. But I wish I started earlier, but I guess it just all works out how it does. It all works out 100%. Yeah, it's, it's, it's so funny just watching people's like journey to kind of getting where they're going. Like what jobs did you do to, to kind of keep yourself afloat? <laughs> what did you do? <laughs> if I had a resume, you'd be like, what is this? It's like, it's like 10 pages long. I had so many jobs that ranged from working at Nike. My first job was working at Office Max. I did like bill collection. So I knew what hospitals, that was the good part though. I knew what hospitals did not send your stuff to credit, to get credit check. Um, I used to work at Gucci, no less. Did they give a good discount? What's what the discount at Gucci? The discount was like 25, 25 or 30%, but it was so much that I couldn't afford it either way. Totally. I guess I'll have the, like the money clip, which is probably like $800 either, either way. Yeah. Well, a keychain was like 300. Just a regular keychain. I don't care how rich you are. That's a ridiculous thing to buy. <laughs> it is. Like, there's nothing else you want to spend $300 on. Like, I need to have this keychain. Like, let's get a life here. Oh, no, Renee. I actually thought about buying a $500, like, wallet. And it was just a basic lambskin wallet. I said, why would I? That's so dumb. Have you done a stupid purchase like that? Not yet. I'm waiting. I don't know what it'll be, but I'm waiting. Just get ready for, like, the guilt that hits you afterwards. You're like, why the fuck did I just do that? Did I really need that? I I've done that a few times and it's so stupid. And I would never even tell John what it was on. Cause he'd be like, bitch, are you crazy? I feel like that ordering Uber Eats when the, the place was literally down the street from me, like 50 bucks, all hamburger. That was eight bucks. That makes no sense. Okay. So you get into the wrestling world. We'll get into the AEW stuff in a second, but I want to make a little pit stop at NWA because I am dying to know. This always fascinates me. What the hell is it like working with Billy Corgan? It's very interesting. I'll tell you that Billy is a very interesting person just because uh, he doesn't really talk to you. The only time he ever talked to me was it was like we were we're done. We're tearing down after a show. And I was at the merch day when he came over and talked to me. I'll never forget. He goes, you know, you're kind of like me in a way because you're an asshole. But people like you. People like us because we're (laughs) assholes and we're funny. And he like told his story how he basically called out this girl at a show of his, but, but his delivery of it was so funny that the crowd laughed. They didn't like, they didn't like question it. So that was the only time we ever had like an in-depth conversation where he just was like, yeah, you're like me, you're an asshole, but you're funny. And I think we're going to go far. I feel like that just like pops in my head. Sometimes I'm like, Billy Corgan owns NWA. Like, what is that creative process? Like, what is he like? I've never met him. I've like seen him in passing at shows and whatnot, but like, it just, it blows my mind that that is a thing that happens in the world of wrestling. He's a huge germaphobe. So he, he won't shake your hand. Like Howie Mandel. Howie Mandel's like that too. Like very like. Yeah. Just very like, like that. Elbow bump, fist bump. Yep. That's it. Yeah. Or yeah. He does like a, a air high five. <laughs> well, you know what? In the world of COVID, he's already ahead of the curve. So we'll give him that. Other than that though, he, he is a, he is a very, like if you needed something from him, he does 
talk to you and he is, he, he will communicate in that sense. But on the surface of things, he just kind of sticks to himself unless you're in that little circle of his. How different is that going from working with somebody like Billy Corgan that like you don't necessarily have that relationship, but to, to now being with somebody like Tony, who's like, you can reach him at all times. He's always there hanging out. Like he's so accessible to people that it's nice to be able to like pitch your creative to like really get a read on him as a person. I find that really rare. So I still operate as if I'm not supposed to be like, he's not supposed to be so accessible to me. You know what I'm saying? I think what it is, I've heard stories of how Vince is and I've heard stories of how these other CEOs are and it's kind of been tapped into my brain. And that's how I approach Tony under the, the, the pretense that that's how he is. And it isn't. So there's times where I go up to him and say, Hey man, I'm sorry to bother you. He goes, You're not bothering me. You're not bothering me. It's fine. You're not bothering me. I said, oh, okay. And I like, I'm still trying to figure out the boundaries there uh, just because I'm so in my head, how I think a CEO is. It's not the case with Tony. It's almost like, and I mean, I I don't work for him, so I don't feel that way, but I just have like a friendship with him. But it's like, I feel like with somebody that's in a position like that, it's like, am I taking up too much of your time at this point because you're making yourself so available? Like, am I taking advantage of the fact that I can have this time with you? And I don't know if it is like that at AEW, but I don't know if like other people are kind of like standing around being like, hey, Ricky, you've been talking to him long enough. Like, let me in there so that I can get my shit in there as well. Like, get out of there. <laughs> I, I haven't come across that. I know there's people who like make jokes because they call us. Uh, there's a group of us they call the White House. Who's in the White House? See, you got me pulling back the curtain here. <laughs> That's what we do here. In the White House, it's me, Britt, JB, Max. Okay. Those are like the four, right? Okay. And so the joke is they call us the White House because we don't get shit done. We seem to make it worse for ourselves. <laughs> you can't you can't count on us to get something like to get something approved, basically. Like don't don't ask us to pitch anything because it probably <laughs> won't go the way we want it to. Why is that? Like, what do you mean? Like you like you're not good at the pitch or you get like distracted? What happens? Terrible at, at pitching anything, terrible at even just bringing up ideas. I, I could tell you, hey, I'm thinking about opening an ice cream shop. And by the end of it, you go, yeah, I think I should take this idea and get somebody else to open an ice cream shop. You go, well, hold on. I That's not what I was trying to say, but all right, we'll do it. There's a real art to that. Like I find anytime I pitch to anything, I mean, whether it was at WWE or to other networks or something, I'm like, I, I instantly have in my head of like, not like a, I'm not worthy, but just like, am I going to start rambling or like, why are we doing this? In my head, it goes, yo, this is a stupid idea. And I go, eh, you know, don't, don't worry about it. And then I just walk off. Yeah. We don't even pitch things. We just, People see us talking to Tony and I think they get like an idea and they go, oh, God, it's like, bro, if you even knew what we were talking about. We're talking about Kirby enthusiasm. We're talking about freaking Bon Jovi, like just nothing. Wrestling Hell really. yeah. Little John Bon. Um, OK, so you're at AEW. You get the call in to come and challenge Cody for the TV title. Did you know before that match that you were going to get signed? No, here's the weird thing. So. Cody, Cody did a promo Wednesday night about how he was going to have an open challenge. Then on Twitter, he said, yeah, this is open to everybody. Literally Thursday, I was at the gym and I had this vision of me walking out, cutting this promo on him, doing this match, etc. And I had the same vision again on Friday. On Sunday, I got a text from someone at AEW asking if I wanted to have this match. I was like, hell yeah. At this point, 
I, I didn't resign with NWA. The way that they were going, I didn't, I didn't want to be a part of it. And it didn't really fit with what I had in my mind. And keep in mind, at this point, when I got the text from AEW, I never reached out to them to try to, to, to get on. I stopped by in Austin when they came for a show just to see my friends. I wasn't trying to get a job or anything because I wanted to do it on my own merit. I didn't want, that's how my whole career has been. I, I've done everything myself and I like that. And, uh, and so I got that text, <laughs> got the, 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 the ticket flew in on a Tuesday. We filmed something, we filmed something that early Wednesday that was going to be used for like B-roll stuff. But as we're doing the promo, like I was, it's an interview essentially as we're doing it. Um, the guy, Dylan said, dude, this is so good. And he chopped it up and made a, a quick promo package that he showed Tony. Tony's like, Oh yeah, let's put it up there. Otherwise I wasn't going to have a promo before I came out. When I tell you I got the promo and then I saw my entrance and then I started the, the theme song, it, I've never experienced that before ever. And the match was great. I loved it. And I literally went home that day thinking, okay, so now I can raise my price on the Indies and be good. And then eventually once the pandemic is over, AEW will see like, Oh, this dude's pretty popular. Let's reach out. to." Him. That's how I had it. Obviously it didn't go that way at the end, which is great, but so weird to think about that. I, I essentially manifested all the way through. A big thank you to Ariel Hawani and to Ricky Starks for hanging out with me this week on Oral Sessions. Hopefully you guys enjoyed those interviews. And as per usual, if you guys want to go back and listen to those interviews in their entirety, they are on wherever you're listening to this, I guess, right? Anywhere you guys are listening to your podcasts. Um, we also have our YouTube channels. I have mine, uh, which you can just search under Renee Paquette. The Volume Network also has theirs. Um, we have the full length episodes, so you're going to be able to check those out if you want to see us chat over Zoom, see what those chats look like. You can see what Ariel Hawani's fake bookcase looks like because I certainly fell for it. Get eyes on that. Um, follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Renee Paquette. The volume is at, at The Volume Sports. Check them out. And I will uh, talk to you guys next week on Oral Sessions. Have a good rest of your weekend.